Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life, so we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. I grew up in Wisconsin, and growing up in Wisconsin, we spent most weekends in the summer at our cabin. And it was such a great way to grow up because it meant we were going to get to put the boat in on the lake and spend that weekend skiing and tubing and swimming around. And it was always just so much fun. And one tradition our family had had for generations was we would jump off what we call the rock. Now, as you can imagine, it's a giant rock in the middle of the lake. It kind of makes about 10 or 15, maybe 20 feet up above the water, and you would climb up it and kind of scamper to the top. It was usually wet and moss covered, kind of slimy. There was seaweed and fish eggs. And so you would jump off this rock into the lake. And my family had been doing it for generations. In fact, here's a picture of my kids and some of their cousins. This is the rock. And this is, they joined the fourth generation of my family to do this. So my grandparents did it, my aunts, my uncles, my parents, my cousins, my second cousins, my my third cousins. This whole rock thing is a very big deal to us, apparently. And so I remember the summer that I turned, had turned five years old, I decided I was going to jump off this rock. It was going to happen that summer. And so I got advice and wisdom from my older cousins. And they said, basically, the main thing is when you jump, you've got to jump with all your might, because if you don't, you might smash your head on the back of the rock. Or when you jump, you got to jump far out because there's jagged rocks straight down, you could probably break your leg. So armed with the encouragement of my older cousins, I determined that that summer was gonna be my summer. And so when we went to the lake, I jumped off the front of the boat, I swam, I climbed up the slimy moss covered rock, and I got in position, I backed up like 10, 15 feet from the edge, and I just got ready for a sprint, and I ran with all my might to the edge of the rock, and I just did it. I leapt forward, and right about here, I completely changed my mind, and I decided this was a horrible life choice. I probably was going to die, and so I wanted to return to the safety of the rock, but instead, I epically and massively belly flopped in front of my entire family. And water rushed up my nose. I was flailing about like a crazy person. My uncle had to drive the boat around and fish me out of the water. And um, no one commented on the horror of my belly flop. When I got in the boat, all anyone said was, you did it. You jumped off the rock. You've joined the generations of our ancestors that have taken this leap. And I remember thinking, wow, I can't believe no one cares that I look like an idiot. All they cared about was that I jumped, that I just did it. Last week, Pastor Dan talked about how what happens in our lives may not be our fault, but it is our responsibility. And we have to own it. And we have to own it so that we can move past it, so we can take action to bring the change that we need in our lives. And this week, what we're saying is, just do it. Just make the leap. Just jump off the cliff. Just make the change that you need to make in your life. Take the action that you already know you need to take. 
Well, of course, Nike is a multi-billion dollar world company, and they have what's considered by researchers to be the second most recognizable slogan on the whole planet. And that slogan is, of course, just do it. It's so simple that it resonates with us. We, we get it. We think, yeah, just do it. Just take the jump. Just make the change. Just take that step. Just do that thing that you're thinking of doing. Just do it. And there's something about that that makes all of us kind of come a little bit alive. And we know that we want to make that change. We know we want to take action. But sometimes there's something that's stopping us from making that change in our life. And for some of us, that thing that's stopping us is overthinking. When, when we know we need to make a change, we think about it and we rethink about it. And we think about it from every possible angle. We look at it from every perspective. We think, I'm gonna figure out the perfect way to execute. And we spend so much time overthinking that we never actually make the change. For some people, what stops them from changing is the exact opposite. It's underthinking. They, they just don't think about it. They don't stop and make a priority and say, you know what? I need things to change in my life. And this is how, so there's overthinking, there's underthinking. Another reason people don't make a change is they're just dreading. It's like, yes, I know I need to go to the gym, but I dread that place. And so I'm not making that change. Like there's a certain amount of changes that happen in our life that we just don't look forward to. For some people, what they don't change because of a fear of failure. They don't want to belly flop in front of their whole family. Um, for some people, it's fear of rejection. They're afraid if they step up and they, they ask that woman out that they've been watching at church for a while, that she's going to shoot them down. And so there's some fear of rejection. For some people, it's exhaustion. Like they are flat tired, maxed out, too much going on in their life. They cannot possibly add even one more thing. Other people, the reason they don't change is they think it's not my personality. I'm not the outgoing kind of guy. I'm not the aggressive kind of person. So I'm not going to be the one to volunteer to coach the little league team. I'm not going to be the one that puts myself out there at the company meeting. I just, that's not me. That's not my personality. But whatever the reason is that's stopping you from making that change, today we want to challenge you, just do it. And this reminds me of a story in the Bible. In 2 Kings chapter 5, there's a story of this man named Naaman. And Naaman was a great commander for the kingdom of Aram. And so he had a ton of military success, many victories, and he was adored by the king of Aram. But all his military success, all of his victories, all of the love and admiration from the people and from the king couldn't change the fact that he had leprosy. And last week, Pastor Dan talked about leprosy is this, this disease, this, this skin disease with lesions and all these things. And at some point, it would shut down your body and you would die. Well, in Naaman's household, he had this servant girl from Israel. And she had heard of the prophet Elisha. And she had seen how he had had many miracles, performed many miracles. And so she told her master, Naaman, go to Israel and go to the prophet Elisha and be healed. Well, like we said earlier, Naaman was an Aramean and they were not exactly buddy-buddy with the kingdom of Israel. In fact, the only reason why that Naaman had a servant girl from Israel was because they had raided and captured said servant girl from Israel. So we're going, okay, that's not quite working out. So now we see this, that this servant girl, the help, basically tells her master Naaman to go to a country and ask this man for help. And he's from this country that they have raided and warred with. This probably isn't actually that good of an idea. And maybe he shouldn't have 
listened, but he wanted change. And so this is sometimes what we have to do, and this is our first point, is just do it. Listen to the advice. Listen to sound advice no matter where it comes from. Even if that advice comes from your kid, from, comes from a coworker, it comes from a spouse, it comes from a pastor, that pastor could have hair or that pastor might not ha- have hair. It doesn't matter. We should always listen to advice from people we know and trust. Because here's the thing, all it takes is an idea to spark change. Mm-hmm. And we never know where that idea will come from. However, just because we listen to the advice doesn't mean we should act yet. We need to do what Naaman did next. We need to bring it to the king. So let's go back into our scripture in 2 Kings. It says, so Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying his gifts, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Naaman goes to the king to make sure that this is the right thing to do. He hears the advice from the, little, the servant girl and goes, that, that seems like a good idea. I would love to be healed, but what does the king think? And the king says, absolutely, you should go. I want you to be healed. Let, let me send a letter to the king and I'm going to send you with some gifts, a bunch of gold and a bunch of silver. And of course, ladies, he didn't forget the outfits, right? <laughs> you can tell that this king is really wise because he knows he's sending Naaman to the king of Israel and he knows where there's a king, there's a queen and that queen probably likes clothes. So very wise king that Naaman <laughs> goes to. And we also have a very wise king that we can go to. And this is our second point. Just do it check with God. When we hear good advice, or even if we come up with something on our own, we need to ask ourselves, what does God think? Does God want you to do it? Do you feel in your heart that he's leading you there? Is he opening the right doors? Is Is he doing those things? If you feel like God is saying yes, then just do it. He will provide for you. He will support you. We don't want to live life always doing or going where other people tell us to. We don't want that relative who's trying to pressure you into starting up a business with them. We, we don't want, that, we, we don't want that, that friend who wants you to buy the car or maybe the golf clubs or a company that wants you to relocate. These might seem like good ideas, but we still need to check. And we can't always go where everyone is telling us to go because in the end, we're going to end up exhausted and we're going to end up where we don't want to be. And we can even make our own plans. We can spend all night, our nights awake trying to figure out what should I do? Where where should I go? Should I take that job? What am I going to do about that kid? And we make our plans. We make our dreams. And we have to remember, it says in Psalms 37, 23, we make our own plans, but the Lord decides where we will go. This is the truth we need to remember. Just because it's a good idea doesn't mean that it's a God idea. When it's a God idea and we do it, we can know that we will be blessed and he will work on our behalf for us to succeed. With God on our side, we can just do it. So Naaman comes to the house of Elisha and he knocks on the door and he's desperate. He needs a miracle. He needs this healing. And he knocks on the door and Elisha sends to the door his servant. And that flies in Naaman's face. He is not impressed with that. Naaman is a man of success. He's a man of military success. He is powerful. And I bet in that moment, Naaman's thinking, doesn't this guy know who I am? Doesn't he realize I've raided his little country a bunch of times? Doesn't he, isn't he impressed with who I am? 
But to add insult to injury, not only does Elisha send a servant, but he sends the servant with a message that is not what Naaman wants to hear. And the message is, go and dip in the river seven times in the river Jordan to be healed. And that is kind of like insult to injury to Naaman. He doesn't want to hear that. His pride is getting in the way of the change that he needs to make in his life. And that brings us to our next point. It's just do it. Take the humble step. So Naaman, he hears that advice and he doesn't like it. And so he storms off and he kind of has like a little fit. And I envision him in his uh, military uh, gear. He's all dressed up in his best and he's got his pins and he's got his cap and he's looking very regal and fancy. And then all of a sudden he flips into a seventh grade girl kind of drama fit. And he goes, I don't want to wash in the river, Jordan. Ew, it's so dirty. I don't want to get that in my hair. Ew. And he kind of has a little fit about it. He doesn't, let's just go to the text. Let's see what it says. Second Kings 5, picking up our story, it says, Benama became angry and stalked away. See, I thought that he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hands over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers in Damascus, the Abana and the Farpar better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why, should I, why shouldn't I go wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and went off in a rage. What's stopping Naaman from making the change in this situation? Pride. What's stopping Naaman from making that change is that he was a successful man. He had succeeded in life up to this point, but now his experience that led him to be successful on the battlefield was stopping him from being able to do a simple, humble thing because he thought to himself, if my my problem is so big, how could something so simple be what I need? It was insulting to how he viewed himself. And for some people, your past success is the very thing that is stopping you from the future success that God wants to lead you into. The success of yesterday can be the very thing that stops us from being able to do the simple, humble step that we need to do to step into what God has asked of us. And the more success we feel that we have achieved in life, the harder it is to take that humble step. And that's why it's important if you in your heart of hearts think, you know what, I I have um, been fairly successful in my life, then I would encourage you to do this on a daily basis. Stop on a daily basis and say, God, Jesus, please bind up my pride. Please don't let my pride stop me from receiving what you have for me. Help me, Lord, to have a teachable, humble spirit and not let my past success stop me from receiving what you have for me in the future. Bind up my pride. But Naaman, he didn't didn't do that. He didn't wanna do that. Instead, he wanted to rationalize. He wanted to use the strategic thinking that had made him successful on the battlefield to rationalize and kind of problem solve the very thing that he was facing. Uh, Proverbs 14 says it this way, you can rationalize all you want and justify the path of error that you have chosen, but you'll find in the end that you took the road to destruction. In other words, Many times we fall into that same trap. We fall into that same trap. If we can't see how something works, we rationalize that there's something wrong with that thing, not ourselves. So we can't see how tithing works. So we rationalize that it must be a scam of the church. 
or we can't see how raising our hands in worship could possibly give us any type of change or breakthrough in our life. And so we rationalize, because we're intelligent people, and we rationalize, it must be emotional sensationalism. That's why people raise up their hands. But the Bible is telling us that actually that's, that's pride. And that pride is taking us down that road towards destruction. And so Naaman is lucky. He's lucky that this is not the end of his story. It doesn't end with him storming off and having a huge fit. It ends with him having success because he has people in his life. He has some other officers in his military that come to him and confront him. They love him enough to have a crucial conversation. And they, they stop him and they say, hey Naaman, don't be a stubborn old man. Don't be stuck in your ways. Try something new. Try something different. And they argue that if if Elijah had asked Naaman to do something super complex, then Naaman probably would have done it. But because he asked him to do something simple, Naaman was hesitant. And so I don't know exactly what that conversation looks like, but this is how I imagine it. I imagine one of the officers sat down with Naaman and he said, Naaman, now imagine that the prophet Elijah had come to the door and said, to be healed of your leprosy, you must climb the mountain the faraway mountain with the jagged rock. You must pull yourself up arm after arm over the jagged rock, and if you become bloodied, you must continue your quest. And when you arrive at the top, you will see a mother eagle seated upon her nest. And as the sun is dawning over the mountain, right as the sun hits the mother eagle, pluck from her tail feather without awakening her, the left tail feather, and bring it down the mountain. Climb hand over hand back down into the valley. And once you arrive in the valley, you must wait for dusk. And when dusk arrives, you shall see a bear, a 526 pound bear. And you must wrestle the bear as the sun is setting without harming the bear. You must pluck from its right side, the molar in the most back position. And you must take that molar together with the eagle feather and rub them on your leprosy and then you'll be healed. And his officers, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but okay, back to the text. Verse 13, it says, but his officers tried to reason with him and said, sir, if the prophet had told you something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey when he simply says, go and wash and be cured. In other words, sometimes we're willing to have the surgery to be healthy, but not eat the salad. Sometimes we're willing to spend the money on divorce lawyers, but we're not, we're not willing to just pay the same money to go to marriage counseling. Sometimes we're willing to file bankruptcy, but not put ourselves on a budget. Sometimes we're willing to go on Facebook and search for these old acquaintances and friends we had in high school that if we're really honest, they have backwards thinking instead of just investing and building new friendships and relationships in our current stage of life we can mistakenly think that the easy step is too simplistic, too beneath us to really help us. But many times it's that easy step that's the very thing that we need to be doing. Zechariah 4.10 says this, it says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Now the Lord might rejoice to see the work begin, but I don't think rejoicing is the word that I would always use when I have to do something that I don't want to do. Uh, but it's still, it always takes to change. You have to take a first step. And that's our next point is just do it. Take the first step. For a lot of us, I think, although simple, the first step is also often the most challenging. We know once we do it, once we make that first step to that change, we're going to start to feel better. We're going to start to be happier. We're going to see more money in our bank account. We're going to be less stressed. All of those things are going to come. 
But somehow, even though we know that, we just don't do it. For me, I tend to procrastinate things. Mm -hmm. I put them off. Hey. And so <laughs> when I see something that I don't want to do, I, and maybe you do this too, you look at it and you go, you know, that seems like a problem for future Joe. And I, just, and I just go, yeah, future Joe will take care of that. But here's what I have found as I've gotten a little older. I'm turning into future Joe now. All of a sudden, I'm really mad at past Joe for putting off all that stuff because now I'm having to deal with it. And so I can't tell you how many times I've laid in bed at night and going, you know what, tomorrow morning, it's gonna be the day. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to the gym. I'm waking up, I'm going to the gym. And tomorrow morning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat better. I'm gonna uh, watch my spending and we're gonna, we're gonna hop on that budget. I'm gonna do a little longer quiet time. And you know what? I'm gonna buy my wife flowers. And that night, man, I go to bed feeling real good about myself. But then the morning comes, okay? And some things start to show up. My bed, it's very comfortable. <laughs> And fried chicken, it's really, really good. And it tastes awesome, all right? And, and my schedule is very, very, very busy. And I don't know if I can fit that in. And my wife, Julie, yeah, I bought her flowers, actually. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm no fool here. Julie, I'm sorry, I bought you flowers. I ain't no fool, my mama taught me better. Sorry, it's been a few months, I'm sorry, but. Nonetheless, I think a lot of us do this. We go to bed with all of these ideas, these things, these changes we wanna make the next day, and then we go to sleep. And we wake up and we're like, I'm gonna keep sleeping. I'm gonna, st I'm gonna hit the snooze button. I'm gonna figure out why I shouldn't do those things. But the Bible tells us this isn't really a great idea. Let's look at it in Proverbs 24. It says, a little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. The scripture talks about poverty and we, we, we assume financial poverty and, and that's, that's true, but someone can be poor in other ways. Mm -hmm. Somebody can have poor health. Somebody can have a poor attitude. They can have poor relationships, a poor thought life. When we don't do anything, when we just fold our hands and rest on that relationship, when we say we're gonna start the budget tomorrow and we, we sleep in a little bit more, and sleep on it again for the hundredth time, when we don't just do it, we see a lack of prosperity and blessing in our lives. And we see that poverty moves in in those areas that we didn't take the first step. God doesn't want us to be independent of him, but he does want us to take an active part in pursuing the life that he wants for us. The scripture talks about the poverty pouncing on you like abandoned, which gives us the idea that that poverty will come and we won't see it. We won't see it coming, coming and it just happens. We don't see the divorce coming because we didn't have the first step of having that crucial conversation. We didn't see the kid getting into trouble with the law because we didn't take that first step of putting our phone down and trying to reconnect with him. We didn't see the financial pressure coming because we didn't take the first step to budget and partner with God in tithing. If we wait and we hold off and procrastinate doing the things we know we should do, it's possible that in the end, we'll end up with nothing. The quicker we take the first step, 
the quicker the change can come. My family, we're big basketball fans. I grew up watching my dad play basketball. He was like a legend in the underground pickup basketball world. And he played like on the equivalent of the Grand Junction Globetrotters called the KEKB All-Stars. And so I grew up <laughs> playing basketball. And one thing I learned about basketball was that if you have the ball and you have a defender there, the best tool you have is your first step to get around that person. You don't necessarily have to be faster, but if your first step is quick and decisive. In fact, in most professional sports, they train that the first step matters. A defensive lineman, their first step off the hike, if they can have a good first step, they can get around that offensive lineman. All, in, in all sports, that first step is so important. And for us, if we can make a quick first step, a quick and decisive decision to do that first step in that change, we can get an edge over our own enemies. Mm -hmm. When we are decisive and confident in moving forward, it prevents the devil from getting footholds and blocking our way. It, it keeps the devil from getting doubt or fear or worry to settle in. It keeps him from, like our scripture says, from pouncing and preventing the change you desire. When you know God is giving you the green light, go. Take that first step. But, and we need to just do it. And we need to do it quickly. But the other thing is, is we have to keep doing it. So that's just it. Just do it. Obey until it's done. Second Kings 5.14 says, So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And, as his, skin, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child and he was healed. The end of this verse reminds me of like kind of a bad infomercial for a skincare product. They're like, move over Botox and facelift. Do you want young skin like a child? Then dip your, river, dip your face in a river full of fish pee. All right. <laughs> It doesn't say in scripture whether Naaman got a little better each time he washed himself in the Jordan or he got better all at once after. But imagine, imagine if he kept checking after the first wash, after the second wash, after the third wash, he, he, he's looking and he's not seeing anything. After the fourth and fifth, he's going to his officers. Do you, do you see anything different? And his officers want to say, yeah, but they're just like, I don't think so, boss. And, and so he's getting frustrated. And what if, after five or six washes, he just walks away. Hmm. He wouldn't have had the change he was hoping for because he didn't follow through completely with what was instructed of him. So we have to, don't just do it some, do it till it's done. As important as it is to take the first step to just do it, remember, it's just as important to keep doing it. We often have a timeline though in our heads. We have this, this idea like, okay, if I start doing this by hopefully three months from now, the change will happen. Or, or if I do this, surely in before the end of the year, this will all be gone. And we have this idea and this timeline. But I think if we're honest, we know God's not super concerned with our little timelines when it comes to our change. He knows exactly how long it takes. Remember, he was not after like fixing Naaman's leprosy. He was after something going on in his heart. First mm -hmm. Samuel 16, 7 says, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. God looked at Naaman and didn't see the infection of leprosy. He saw the infection of pride, of arrogance, and of anger. God wants to help you change your outside circumstances. He does. However, he might use the process, the time it takes to change those things to fix a heart issue. Mm -hmm. He might change the financial circumstances, change the, what, your, what your bank account is saying, but in the process, he might change how you view money 
and maybe fix the greed in our hearts. He might change what your relational status says, but in the process, he might want to change the relational issues that you have with him. He might change the number that you see on the scale every morning, but in that process, he might want to fix how you talk about yourself and how you view yourself and your self-confidence. Here's the truth. God might take longer to give you the change you want in order to get the change that he wants. We have to decide if we are willing to just keep going. Like Naaman had to keep washing, are we gonna take the first step, the second step, the third step, the hundredth step, the thousandth step to get our change? God is faithful. And if we stay faithful, we will see that change. However, uh, Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. That hope is that confident expectation of what God has promised, that God will do what he said he's going to do. If you have been working towards change and you've felt like, man, I've taken that first step, that hundred step, that thousand step, and you're still just not quite there, you haven't seen that change, don't give up. You never know when that breakthrough is coming. You never know. It could be just around the corner. You could just be on the sixth wash and you just need to get to the seventh one. The only way it won't come is if you never take the first step to try and get, get that change or you stop before you see the change. Mm -hmm. If it's not good, if you're not happy with that change, then God's not done. Philippians 2.13 says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He's going to empower you to keep going on the path of change he's put out for you. He's going to equip you to do it. At one point in college, I was accidentally playing for my university on an all men's team in an all men's league uh, playing soccer. And don't ask, it was really complicated and I wasn't trying to be feminist, it just sort of happened. But really what I did was I sat the bench on the team um, and it was, really not any fun at all. I would sit on the bench and I would watch my team out on the field and I would watch them, you know, blood, sweat, tears, mud, victory, and all the coolness that went with collegiate sports. And then I would just sit there and it would unfold right before my eyes, but I didn't really get to do anything to participate. And even on the very last game, my jersey was still brand new out of the box looking because I never got off the bench. And it kind of just reminds me, and if I could for just a moment speak to those of you in the room who are grandparents, who are retired, uh, maybe empty nesters, kind of people in that stage of life. If I could speak to you as a younger sister in Christ, I believe that God wants me to tell you, please don't bench yourself. Please don't think that your life is done and that you don't have anything to offer. Please don't hang up your cleats and, and don't retire your jersey number. We need you. The rest of the body of Christ needs you in the game. We need you in our lives. Thanks. So true. We need your wisdom and we need your insight and we need your experience. We need you to teach us the things that you've learned that have made you successful. And we don't want you to bench yourself and we don't want you to retire yourself from the lives of the people around you or from the kingdom work of God. We need you. If, you, if you're a mom and you've raised your kids and they basically turned out, um, the rest of us are still terrified that it's not working. And we need you to group us up and have 
some kind of Bible study and impart your wisdom to us and encourage us because we're going crazy with little kids and we need to know what worked and what didn't work. We need that from you. And if you're an adult, you know, a married man and you've been married 20, 30, 40 years, we need you to find the men, the young men in our church and we need you to teach them like what are the secrets to being married and how do you explain this to a young married man and, and help them understand how to do things like, how to say things like, I am sorry and you are right. Um, you know, we need that. We need that from you. And if you're a business leader in our community and you've like dug out and carved out a successful business here on the Western Slope and our challenging economy and, and all the different components we have, we need you to do leadership classes or business classes and teach us what you've learned and, and share with us your experiences. We need you. We need you in our lives and we need you in the kingdom. And please don't, I don't know what corporate culture is telling you and I, and I don't know what's going on necessarily that, that's bringing that message to people, but that's not the message of Fellowship Church. We are not a one generational church. We're a church that needs our young and our old, our men and our women, our, our black and our white. We need all the diversity that is the body of Christ yeah. together. And please don't retire on us. And then to everyone, to every age and stage of life, do not let life pass you by. Don't let your kids grow up in a blink of an eye engaged. Don't let your business that you're working for continue to success while you stay stuck, move forward. We wanna challenge you, get in the game, just do it. Don't bench yourself. And when it comes to the kingdom work of God, George Barner Research lets us know that 20% of every church family does 80% of the volunteering and the giving. 20% does 80% of the giving and volunteering. And we need to be different here at Fellowship Church. We need everyone to bring everything to the table. And maybe for whatever reason in life, you haven't just done it, you haven't got in the game of, of the, the kingdom work of God. Can I remind you that there is nothing more thrilling than being the guy who opens the door and welcomes in the visitor who's sure and convinced that if they walk in that worship center, that the roof will cave in on them if they darken that door. How many times have we heard that? But you're the one that opens the door. You're the one that greets them and makes them feel welcome. And there's nothing more thrilling than being the couple that writes the check to replace the carpet in the children's building so kids can sit down and hear about Jesus. There's nothing more thrilling than being the person that, that God uses to hold the baby so the tired mom can get the refreshment she needs in a worship service. There's nothing more thrilling than getting in the game. Whether that's the kingdom game, the game of life, we are just asking you, just do it. Just take that step and get engaged in the game. Worship, serve, connect, build those relationships. Just do it. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your goodness towards us. Thank you that you invite us onto the field to play the game, to engage and to just do it. And I pray that every single one in this room, that we would all find our niche in our place, in our own lives and in the kingdom work that you're doing in this place and around the world. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would strengthen and refresh us all. And we thank you for it. Amen. All right, we love you guys and we'll see you next Sunday morning. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. You can do that right now. I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on a cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.